So as noted, we are, uh, we are in the book of Colossians. Um, I, I believe most of you have been here with us over the past several weeks, either in person or online. We're in uh, Colossians chapter 2 this morning. We'll be looking at 16 through 23. That means, yes, we're going to get through the first two chapters of Colossians this morning. Very excited about that. I came across this modern proverb this week, and I'm going to do my best to kind of summarize it for you because it's quite lengthy. And it's, it's called The Path. And it's a story of a man, a traveler, and he's walking through this path. And in this path, he comes across a uh, kind of a shortcut. And, and during the shortcut, he walks through, and next thing you know, he's sinking in quicksand. So he's sitting there, and he's stuck in this quicksand. Gratefully, over a period of time, he hears of a, another traveler coming. And this traveler happens to be the Chinese philosopher Confucius. So he comes walking through, and he says these words to him after this man cries out, cries out for help. He says to this man, that should be evidence that men should stay out of such places. And he continues on. So he sits there still, and then he hears more footsteps, and he comes walking through, and guess who's there? It's Buddha. Buddha comes along, and Buddha looks at him, as he's crying out for help, and he just simply says this, kill the desire to live, which you have, and you will be all right. And he continues on. And then as he continues walking, or as he continues to, to sink, another traveler walks by. He's like, okay, finally, someone here to help me. It's Mohammed. It's the prophet Mohammed. The prophet Mohammed says this, as he pleads for help, this is the will of Allah. And he walks along. Now this man is at the point where only his head, his shoulder, and one of his arms is out, and he's pleading for help, and another traveler walks by. This time it's Jesus. Jesus walks by, he's pleading for help, and Jesus reaches down, picks him up, and they're arm in arm, and they walk down the path together. So this story helps us to kind of see that, that when we rely solely on on you know, uh, policies, procedural type things in our churches, that's kind of what can happen. We're left sinking. But when we rely solely on Jesus, we can rise up and we can continue down this path that he has set us on because he's standing and walking by us. In our passage this morning, we're going to see this exact type warning from Paul. And in this warning, he's going to, again, as we've seen already, that he's going to be uh, warning against these false teachers. And these false teachers, what they do is they're, they're trying to add to the finished work of Jesus. Am I back? They're trying to add to Jesus, right? These, these false teachers have been trying to add to the finished work of Jesus. And if you recall, we talked about that very thing just last week. So in our passage this morning, we're going to see how he warns them not to do so because why? They're going to end up losing sight of their Savior. That's what happens when we take our eyes off of Jesus. So please join me as we read Colossians chapter 2. Again, we'll start at verse 16. Words will be on the screen behind me. Follow along on your devices. If you're online, it'll be right in front of you as well. Verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. 
These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on and on about detail of visions, puffed up without reason in his sensuous, by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations, such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that perish as they are used, and according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Here's our main idea that I want to talk through this morning. We are rooted in Christ when we do not add to Jesus. We are rooted in Christ when we do not add to Jesus. What I, you might remember, I, I, I gave you this really fancy quote last week. It was a, uh, it was a, a formula, an equation that I believe John MacArthur had stated, and I'm sure others have as well. Christ plus nothing equals everything. You remember that? Christ plus nothing equals everything. We're going to build on that a little bit in this passage. So the first thing I want to talk through is why Jesus plus nothing. I think most of us in this room will know this already, so hopefully this is just a recap and, a, and, a, and maybe an overview, but it is important that we still talk through this because you see that the Colossian church still struggled with these things even though they knew Jesus, they've already received him. So the first thing I want to talk through of why Jesus plus nothing is this. Biblical Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. It's a relationship, not a religion. The dictionary definition of a religion is this, a personal set or institutionalized system of religious activities or attitudes. I think that's really what we saw in that story I shared just a few moments ago. In verse 16 of this passage, what we see here is that these false teachers were, and other influences were not only adding to the faith, but they also used the law to do so. They were putting emphasis on keeping these dietary restrictions and these Sabbaths and these ceremonial feasts instead of relying again on the finished work of Jesus. And not only this, but the phrase pass judgment, it's a strong term that's used of someone who's acting as the judge over others. So in other words, they're, they're, they're basically trying to be the final authority, and they're acting as if they're the final authority over their faith and how they practice that faith. Now the scriptures do tell us that as Christians we are to judge one another, that's in respects to our sin, not in this particular manner in respects to what somebody's wearing or what somebody has, uh, are eating or drinking or what festivals they do keep or do not keep. That's not what they're talking about. And we do this today in our churches, don't we? How about those churches that would only s accept a certain translation of the Bible? We use the ESV, but, you know, we don't put that on our, on, our, on our tagline as if that's the only translation you can use. What about those churches that have those unwritten rules that you have to wear a suit and tie when you walk in the door, right? Or those super, super Christians who don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't, they don't dance, but they'll judge those who do, right? These are some of the things that we, we do today in our churches, and we're no different than that. 
And that's why what he talks about here in verse 17 is he says these laws that were previous, these laws are meant to point us to Jesus. That's the second point. The law points us to Jesus. That's what we see in verse 17. This idea of a shadow speaks to a picture of Christ. It's a picture. It's a Greek word where we get the word photograph from. That's exactly why we talked about that with the kids this morning. It's an outline. It's a sketch. It's something that we can look forward to and do the real thing. Like these pictures, again, that I shared with the kids earlier this morning. Matthew 5.17, Jesus says these words, Don't you think, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to abolish, or I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus says here that he's fulfilled the law. He's not abolishing the law. He's fulfilled it. So if Jesus has fulfilled this law, it is complete. It is finished. There's no need to dwell on them, to sit on them. And the phrasing of verse 17, to me, when I read it a few times, it was kind of difficult. And I think the translation process made it a little challenging as well. The phrasing is a little hard to understand at first. But what we do see is that this idea, it points to the idea that the, the shadow doesn't have a substance. There's, not, there's no substance with an actual physical shadow. Uh, but the, sh- the substance is that body. It's that physical presence of Jesus. So when Paul is contrasting this idea of a shadow or a call like a photograph. He's initially saying it doesn't compare to the real person of Jesus. The NLT, I think, does a good job of paraphrasing this. That's the New Living Translation. For the, these rules are, are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. So if these rules were simply a, a, a picture of Jesus, again, there's no need to live there. There's no way to camp there. There's no way, no reason for, to, for people to, to dwell there. And, and more than that, they shouldn't be judged because of it. Verse 18 also talks about this a little bit too. And what he says in verse 18, and this is your next point, following Jesus requires faith and works, not faith, faith plus works. Following Jesus requires faith and works, not faith plus works. Paul, again, is really warning and warning against those who teach that we must do something to earn our salvation. The Bible is very clear. Faith is a gift from God by his grace. And we cannot, frankly, because we're unable to do so, we're unable to do anything to earn our salvation. We can't do anything to earn our salvation. Paul's warning the church, don't let anybody deny your salvation. If you're not practicing asceticism, which is kind of this false humility, you know, in some cases it goes as far as self-harm, you know, or imposing deprivation to be more holy. That's kind of what that word talks about there. Or even the worship of angels, as he speaks about here, because of their extensive visions of, of these false teachers have, these extensive visions that they have. He's saying don't do these things, because what happens is it leads to prideful activity in your life, and it leads to a prideful attitude. So Paul here is drawing back on the section that we talked about last week. That was at therefore in verse 16. He's affirming that salvation is final. No one can take that from you. So don't let these false teachers come in and say, hey, if you don't do this, you're not as Christian as the other guy. That's what that term disqualified means. That means here that, that it's, a, it's a word that actually means like an umpire or official is like taking your prize away. 
right? That's what that word means here. It's an official or uh, umpire that's stripping you from your prize. Christ has already given that to us, and there's no one that is able to take that. And again, this isn't exclusive to the Colossian church, as we've seen. Think about churches that teach you that, hey, you're not saved unless you are of this denomination, or if you're not of this church affiliation, if you're not this, of this church organization. Teaches that, or churches that teach you that you've got to do something to earn it. Well, if you're not baptized, you're not saved, and therefore, no, that's not what the, the scriptures are teaching. Bible is clear. No one is saved through their works, but saved through faith in Christ, a gift from God. No one can take that. And if, if, and I don't know about you, but I'm sitting here praising God this, this week as I'm writing this because it's a gift from him. I can't do anything to earn that salvation. He has given that to us. So Paul further affirms that in verse 19 when he says that Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head. We've seen this already a couple times in this, uh, in this, in this uh, book already. We've seen that in a lot of Paul's ep- uh, epistles. Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is his body. And Paul is clearly stating here that these false teachers are not holding on to Christ as the head. It is even as if they, you know, they're, they recognize, and, and he need, uh, he's reminding us that we need to recognize that Christ is the one who allows the body to actually function. So Paul's warning us here that no one has that right to, to promote these ordinances. No one has the right to, to promote these ceremonies because it's Christ and Christ alone. One commentator I read this morning, he's like, listen, Christ has ordained some ordinances. He himself ordained baptism in the Lord's Supper. But that's enough. And it's not enough because we say it's enough. It's, be, it's enough because that's what the scriptures have taught, and Christ has already ordained these two things. And again, I think we see that in our world today. Let's kind of shift our attention to the workplace for a few moments. When I was in human resources, in my last three positions I held, I had to go in and almost retrain. I know, I'm an HR guy, I apologize. I had to retrain Managers, I had to retrain these leaders because my predecessors implemented a process or a procedure or even policies that really didn't make sense, that weren't necessary. So I had to spend so much of my time retraining people. Think about that as an adult learner, how hard it is to be retrained. It's hard enough to, you know, train somebody, let alone retrain somebody's mindset for years and years of of information. So I think Paul here is almost getting ahead of this, and he's trying to help them to like get ahead of it, and saying, "Look, don't 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 get to the point where you're no, no longer trainable. Don't get to the point where you're no longer able to refocus your mind and where it needs to be. They've in a way kind of replaced Jesus." with their legalism and their mysticism and their asceticism. This is a dangerous, dangerous place for Christians to be. It's, this is when the cr- a Christian decides that Jesus is not enough. Jesus isn't enough, and that's why they go and they try to pursue more. They try to look for things to replace these so-called holes in their, in their lives. And then piggybacking on this, Paul addresses this last thing here, and that's that worldly wisdom is inferior to God's wisdom. Worldly wisdom is inferior to God's wisdom. Verse 20 draws our attention back to last week. 
um, in that sermon. If you, if you missed that sermon, uh, it's on video, it's on audio forms. Go ahead and take a look at that because it does build on that sermon there as well. And we spoke about, again, finished work of Jesus. The finished work of Jesus. How he has made us alive in him. One way of putting this here is, is why do you allow them to influence you as, if you as though you were living and acting under these worldly influences? Like, why will you allow this to happen in your lives? Verse 21, Paul seems to be addressing some of these specific instructions, right? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Parents, does that not sound familiar? Have we not spoken those words to our children before? I can remember, and we remember we talked about Christian maturity just recently, but I can remember vividly telling Elizabeth certain things. Elizabeth, put that down. Elizabeth, don't do this. Elizabeth, this one's my best, and this is my favorites. Elizabeth, don't put that pancake on your head. <laughs> True story, that happened. Yeah, you probably don't remember that, Elizabeth, right? We have to tell our, our kids those things. And this is what some of these false teachers were telling this church. Do not do this, do not do that, do not do this. The do not is indicative of a legalistic approach to faith. Another commentator noted that Christianity, if you want to call it a religion, it's a religion of positive action, not negative action. It's not do nots, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but it's a get to. We get to follow Jesus. We get to worship Jesus. We get to. It's not about do nots. It's more of a get to. And then Paul speaks about this in these ideas of human precepts and teachings. He's talking about these man-made commandments, these man-made doctrines, and that those things, they lead to what we call an appearance of wisdom. But they're ultimately without value. They become this self-made religion feeding into the desires of the flesh. That's what he talks about in verse 23. So, and that happens when we take our eyes off of Jesus, and we tend to put them elsewhere. Right? I, I think we talked about this recently in one of our Monday morning meetings where, you know, you're, you're going down a, a certain path and, and just a slight miscalculation gets you off track. And then next thing you know, over time, you're way off track. You know, like an airplane, if those calculations aren't just right, you're going to veer off path over time and you're not going to reach that destination. So we need to keep our eyes focused on him and not be persuaded by these things that are happening around us. Paul's clearly outlined in this passage this main idea that we've already identified, which is, again, we are rooted in Christ when we don't add to Jesus. So I think there's an obvious question that follows, and that's this. How does this happen in our lives? How does this happen in our lives? First thing we want to do is we need to ensure that we build our lives. I build my life on the scriptures rather than trying to make the scriptures fit my life. I need to build my life on the scriptures rather than allowing and putting the scriptures and finding the things that, that make my, my worldview kind of work. And unfortunately, as we rely more and more on our own personal wisdom or the wisdom of others, which is something that we do often, we begin to look outside of the scriptures. And we also tend to twist the scriptures to fit these narratives of man-made institutions. And we can't stress the, enough the, 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 in the life of a Christian, we need to be together. And, we, and that, that gathering has to be focused around the word of Jesus. 
And I love the example of the early church. In Acts 2, verse 42, Luke reminds us of this. He says that the, the church there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's what the focus was of that early church that grew by the thousands and obviously spread all the way to us today. What about that strong warning that we see in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8? Paul warns the Galatian church there. It's like, but if, even if we, the apostles, or an angel from heaven should preach you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul is telling them that you've heard the scripture, you've heard the true gospel. This is to remind us that we're relying solely on the inspired scriptures to form our worldview. This includes these things that are hard to understand, even things that our flesh might disagree with. And yet we're to stand firm to what the scriptures teach so that no one can lead us astray. And the second thing is this. Instead of judging each other with man-made rules, we need to be building each other up in Christ. I've told this story before. When I first became a Christian, the first time I entered a church building that wasn't for a wedding or a funeral, part of the reason I was willing to listen to what was being spoken about was because when I walked in, nobody judged me. Nobody cared of what I was wearing. Nobody cared of what I looked like. I was literally fresh out of my thug-inspired days. So I still had that, that uninviting, unattractive look on my face. I was standoffish. I was closed. I was fresh off of those days, but nobody cared about my wardrobe. Nobody cared about any, my, my uninviting uh, uh, demeanor. Nothing was changed. And I think that, that helped me to see, okay, these church people are not too bad. They don't care about who I am or who I was. And then, obviously, when I came here to Thornydale Family Church, fairly new to Tucson, still trying to figure out what Tucson was all about. I came from Los Angeles area, so much different than what we have here. Please don't judge me for that. But nobody here judged me for my appearance. They didn't care that I had tattoos. They didn't care that I, you know, they didn't have any of those, those issues with me. I do, however, I'm going to point this out, I do, however, get judged on some of the sports teams that I like. For burning bacon one time, one time in five years I burned the bacon and I almost got excommunicated. It was horrible. One time, one time. But never for the way I looked. Never for the way I looked. This is important, I think, because stereotypes of what Christians should wear are primarily man-made rules. This is the first time I've preached in a pair of jeans, and there, that's, that's why I did it today. Because there's nothing in the scriptures that say I can't. I gotta, I'm not going to lie, I kind of like it, right? But nothing in the scriptures say I have to wear a suit and tie. Nothing in the scriptures say I, I have to, you know, have a long sleeve shirt on and it has to be tucked in real nice. If that's what you want to do, by all means. But if we're judging each other for it, that's when we're stepping on a dangerous, dangerous line. Decisions like those are personal decisions. 
And so when we start to judge others based off of these things, we're taking the attention off of Christ. And we're putting it on ourselves or on the institution or on the church or on these personal desires that one another have. It, church is not about you and me. It's about Christ. It's always been about Christ. The writer of Hebrews helped us to see this in, in chapter 10. These are very familiar words, I hope, for each of you. He says this in verse 24 and 25 of chapter 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meat together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see, uh, encouraging another, all the more as you see as the day is drawing near. Until Christ returns, we are to be together. We are to be encouraging one another. We need to be in, be together in doing so, focused around the word of God. And not judging one another because of the things that we possibly disagree with due to church tradition or our own specific desires. It's in those moments that, again, that we're doing is we're, we're adding to Christ's initial intent for God's church. And I recognize that, that as I wrote this sermon this week, there were probably some things that might sound like I'm judging some of you or I'm judging myself or there's some judgmental type of undertones to it. That's not the intention. The intention is really to turn on that light switch to allow us to see, hey, these are some very simple things that are happening in our churches today. And I think it's necessary to at least bring some of these real-life examples up so we can kind of see what this looks like even in today's church. And, of course, I'm not discluding the fact that there are false teachers in churches, even within the church, right? So I'm not dis discounting that at all. These are just some simple ideas and understanding. And in our churches, no one should feel disqualified. In our churches, no one should be judged by the way they look. When Jesus spoke to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he said these words. He said, but the hour is coming, and now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship him in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Not food and drink, not in festivals, not in your attire, not in your past. Spirit and truth. That's how we are to be worshiping God. So family, I, I, I implore you today, and, I'm, and, and you, this is a great group of people, but when we come to worship, let us worship in spirit and truth. That's the biblical Christianity that Paul's speaking about here today. So let us worship the Father in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for, for your word that does affirm the things that you do tell us are important in, in worship. And allow us as a church to never stray from that. Allow us as teachers to never stray from your word and to never add to your word or add to anything that will take our focus off of Jesus, your son. We ask, God, that you help us to do that in our individual lives as well as in our lives as a, as a corporate body. Help us to do that each day as we, we lead our families, as we're in the workplace, but especially when we're gathering together in your name. So help
Help us to do that each day. Help us to f- keep our eyes focused on you and not to add to these things from, from traditions or trends or whatever might be going on around us and other churches. Help us to, again, just focus in on you in everything that we do. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Our fellowship as we